Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another Sunday at Church at Home. My name is Albie Powers, uh, the lead pastor here at Elm City Church. So I love the video I just showed from the Bible Project. And what I love about them is that they essentially do PhD-level theology set to cartoons. I showed you that one, though, specifically for two reasons. The first is we have been going through one of Paul's letters, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And so understanding how how these letters are put together, what it really does is it helps us uh, interpret it for our day helps us to see how this applies to us now and make, and make sense of the overall larger unit that we're looking at. Uh, but secondly, the reason why I wanted to show you that is because the theme of Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, his letter to the Ephesians, really is the theme of what I want to talk to you about this morning, which is unity. The theme of the book of Ephesians is to unite all things together in heaven and on earth in the Messiah Jesus. Heading into this year, one of the things I had put on my preaching calendar that I knew I wanted to speak on was the theme of unity, specifically because we're in an election year. 2016 was the most divisive election I've ever been a part of, and I kind of had the sneaky suspicion that this year, 2020's election, is going to be even more divisive, if that's possible. And, And I'm not talking this morning about unity in the sense of, hey, we all need to vote the same. Like, I'm not interested in trying to rally around that at all. But what I am most interested in is, is how Christians, how we come together in unity when we have divisive issues that we don't agree on and how, really how that impacts our witness to each other and the world around us. That's really my heart and wanting to talk about all of this uh, because our posture is so important because if we get that wrong, we can be like the apostle Paul says, we're nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, even if hypothetically we're right. And why I bumped this series up on unity and unity in the church is really just because COVID-19 has amplified and accelerated the divide both in this country and I'm concerned uh, in the church at large. Um, I see it because we're faced with a public health crisis. We're faced with an economic crisis on top of that. And this entire situation has been politicized, which makes it, you know, accelerates its divisiveness. And this just feels like the perfect storm. Is, is, is brewing. Um, and if that weren't bad enough, you know, the racial wounds in our country have just been reopened by, the, by what's happened the past couple of weeks. And like I said, this, this, this does feel like it's the potential perfect storm uh, for disunity and for divisiveness in the church. And so in light of this, what is the church called to do? Because the, I do not think that the church should be silent on these issues. Uh, we shouldn't. I've, I've heard people say, you know, hey, you should just stick to, you know, preaching the gospel. And what they mean by that is just talk about salvation and uh, leave, leave social issues out. That doesn't belong in the church. Uh, but I think that's a really small view of the gospel and the biblical message. If what we talk about doesn't speak into things like racial injustice, the treatment of the marginalized, divisiveness in the church, and how politics can become our idol. We have to talk about those things because the New Testament is filled with letters addressing these specific issues. 
And the Bible is really practical in helping us navigate some of this. We are not the first group of people to deal with this. Uh, And these are topics that God deeply cares about. But this morning, big picture, this is what I want to talk about. And it's to try to answer this question. How does the church maintain unity in, in, you know, in the face of several divisive issues that we're not all going to agree on. So how do we maintain unity in the face of all of these divisive issues that we're not all going to agree on and frankly don't have to all agree on? But this is why this question of unity is so important right now. Because what is at stake, in my opinion, is nothing less than the mission of the church. Because mission and unity go hand in hand. Listen to this quote, uh, stop me in my tracks this week and just put to words way better than I could. And this is, uh, it goes like this. Unity among diverse groups is at the heart of the gospel message and evidence of God's power and wisdom. So the mission of the church is crippled by division among various groups. And unless we evidence our unity, our witness does not deserve to be heard. Unless people can see our unity, where we have differing views and differing opinions, but we can still unite under Jesus, our witness doesn't deserve to be heard. And this, in the gospel message, that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself is going to sound hollow if it comes from a group of people that can't get along. That's why this is so important. Now, I want to speak specifically to the Elm City Church family, which is most of you watching. Uh, this message is not, hey, we're doing a bad job of this shape up by any means is, hey, I think we're doing a really good job in this so far. We've always done a good job, of, job in this. So let's keep it up because I think it's just gonna get harder and harder from here on out. That's where my heart is on this. And what's at stake is our witness, in the, is our witness to this community that God has placed us in. So let me read to you Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And we're gonna see that Paul's call to unity, it was not some pep talk or some cheesy slogan. Rather, it was a continued call to live out the implications of the gospel. Because unity, it's a byproduct of Christian maturity. So let me read to you uh, these, these verses. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So before we get to, um, you know, what unity, unity is and the character traits that produce it, let me just mention what it's not. First of all, Christian unity does not mean we have to agree on everything. We don't have to vote the same way. We don't have to have all the, you know, all the theological things that we believe in don't have to all exactly align. Um, for example, I know in this church, just in talking to people, there's a wide range of opinions on you know, whether we should or should not wear masks, when we should come back to church, how we should open the economy. It's okay that we don't all agree on that thing. I think that our different voices you know, add needed, some needed you know, structure to this, to this conversation. It's okay that we don't agree. Unity also is not uniformity. Paul doesn't, you know, he doesn't ask us to all be the same. In a few verses, he gives the image of the body as the image of the church. He uses that as a metaphor for the church. In a body, you have 
you know, the hands, the feet, the nose, the eyes, these are all different. And it's important that they're different because if it was all the same, we would be at a loss. So if everyone in the church had the same gifts, had the same opinions, had the same solutions, we would be a church that is worse off, not better off. There's only a few things that we actually need to have uniformity in. And a lot of what Paul talks about in verses four through six, he says, hey, there's one body, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and there's one gospel, one faith, one savior, one baptism, one God. Like we need to hold that in, in uniformity. But unity, it's gonna be seen more in our response to each other, how we handle our differences and how we showcase our love for each other, knowing that, you know, what we hold in common is going to dwarf our differences. Even if there are some legitimately big differences, it doesn't matter because what we hold in common is going to be still going to be greater. What we can't do is act like an autoimmune disease. You know, where one part of the body overreacts and, you know, attacks another part of the body because it perceives it to be a threat. Like that is what we have to at all costs avoid, especially in this season. So let's look at what Paul says again in one through three, because he has a lot of important things to say to us. And the first is, he tells us that every Christian has a calling on their life, including a call to fight for unity. He goes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So after explaining and highlighting the good news of Jesus in the first three chapters, Paul tells us that each and every Christian has a call in their life. And it is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is what's expected of you, of me. It's that we live in a way that is worthy of our salvation. And the clear teaching of the New Testament is that we have a responsibility to live in a way that matches what God has done for us, which is great because we're called to live in a response to Jesus and in a response to what God has done for us, not to try to earn God's love for us. You know, I remember when that truth hit home for me, uh, I was either a junior or a senior in high school. I was 17 years old and I, I was reading at the time through the book of Philippians. And Philippians 1.27, for whatever reason, just stopped me in my tracks. And it says essentially what Paul says in uh, Ephesians 4.1. Philippians 1.27 says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, whatever happens. And maybe you're like me, where you found at times in your life, or even right now, it's easy to kind of compartmentalize. Hey, you know, Jesus, you can speak into these parts of my life, but this is off limits. We actually all do that. We're just not all conscious that we're doing it. And as a 17-year-old, there was definitely parts of my life that I was doing that. And this, that phrase, whatever happens, it just kind of cut through all of that. And I was like, whoa, like, yeah, I'm living a double life at times. Like I'll go to youth group, I'll do all these things, but then I have this other stuff going on here that's not honoring to Jesus. Uh, and by no means am I perfect or have it all figured out, but just that call to have all of our lives line up with the way of Jesus really hit me when I was 17 or 18 um, by, this, by this verse. And so here's the flow of thought. This is, this is what it looks like. The command, hey, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, and this is what it looks like. And verses two to three is the character required for that. Paul says, we need to live with all humility and gentleness, with patience. We need to bear with one another in love. And we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So that's what it looks like to live in a way that's worthy of our calling. 
Now, if you were going to make a list of the top five characteristics that uh, traits that, you know, you need to be successful. Here are the five characteristics of a successful person. I doubt that all of these would be on your list. You know, you need to be humble. Uh, You need to be, that hopefully will be on your list. But you need to be gentle, patient, put up with other people out of love for them, and be eager to maintain unity. There's a reason why uh, humility and being humble is near the top of so many uh, lists in the Bible of what Christian ethics should be or even what you should look for for people in in leadership. Because I think it's one of the most difficult uh, virtues that there is. But it's essential for unity because the opposite of humility is ego and pride, which are the source of almost all other issues we face, including our conflict with each other. So I got here uh, a balloon. It's a pretty nice green balloon. And uh, I'll blow it up here a little bit. So one way I've heard pride described that makes a lot of sense to me is that pride is simply having an inflated view of yourself. So the bigger your ego gets, the bigger your pride gets, the more space you take up in your world and the smaller and smaller and less important everyone around you becomes. Eventually though, pride's gonna ruin you. You guys, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm terrified this is gonna pop, (laughs) pop in my face. Pride, if you allow your ego to just go unchecked, out of control, it's going to ruin your relationships. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your parenting. It's going to ruin your leadership. And it's going to ruin your church. Another thing pride does is pride keeps us from God because there's, with pride, there's no room for confession. With pride, there's no room for repentance. And those, those things don't go together well. But that's why humility is usually at the top of the list of what we need. And I love this idea that, think about this, understanding God's grace, you know what it does? It really just deflates your ego balloon. When you understand God's grace, you just honestly take yourself a little bit less seriously. Knowing that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have that security, not because you did anything to earn it, not because of any, anything on your own. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you want to be really humbled, Think about this. The only thing that you added to your salvation uh, was being a sinner, which was the cause of needing it. Like that's a very, <laughs> that's a very humbling thought right there. Uh, but humility though, humility is not weakness or low self-esteem because it was a character trait of Jesus. You know, Jesus was the most, I would think the most humble person that walked the face of the earth, but he was also the most confident and the most secure person that ever lived. And I think because of his security and who he was, you know, being humble was not a threat. You have to be a very secure person to be able to take the, the form of a servant and be okay with that. To, to be able to be humbled like that and not have it be a big deal. I, I know for me sometimes the reason why if someone like says something to me or cuts me down or criticizes me why I want to go on the attack, it's because of pride, because that person you know, has attacked my ego and in some way, and I want, I want to lash out. Jesus never felt like he had to do that because he just modeled humility.
There was no hint of ego in Jesus. Gentleness, it's, a, it's another virtue. It's another one of these forgotten virtues. But gentleness, think about it this way. It's, it can be as simple as not being harsh with others. We all know the difference between someone kind of harshly rebuking us and kind of gently correcting us. Gentleness, it's a Christian virtue that shows up a lot in the, in the, in the New Testament and is an important part of following Jesus. Another one is patience. John Christendom, he's a church father. He described patience this way. He said, patience is having a wide and big soul. Patience is the ability to endure annoyance and difficulty with others over a long period of time. And this is, this is uh, necessary for living in community with others. This is necessary for having good friendships, for having a good family. Uh, you need patience. Have you ever noticed that the more time you spend with someone, the more annoying things you find out about them? Like, if you're not saying, like, you know, as you grow closer to someone, like, man, I didn't realize about that, that about them. It's like you have friends that you kind of hang out with casually, and then you go on vacation with them for a week. And you're like, I need like a month off from them. I didn't realize I did all those annoying things. Have you seen the way he chews cereal? Oh my gosh, it's like a cow. Like, you're going to find out all of those things with the people you get close to, and that requires patience. The only way to not need patience in relationship is just to keep people at arm's length. But thank God that Jesus didn't do that with us, that he embraces us, that he is patient with us, that he loves us, uh, which leads to the next thing that we're called to bear with one another in love. And that simply can even be defined as sometimes we just need to put up with each other in love. And this is agape love, which is loving the other person for who they are and not treating them as if they exist for our own enjoyment. We just love them for them, not treating them like their worth is on how much we get out of their relationship. Because love is hard, and it can be a, sometimes. It can be difficult to love each other. Uh, it's going to be costly. It's going to be hard to love those you vehemently disagree with. And so sometimes love is just putting up with that person. That might take the pressure off a little bit on what that looks like. The question is, do these qualities describe you? Uh, I know sometimes they do me and sometimes they, they don't. Uh, we often don't prize these things because at first glance, they don't look like what gets us ahead. We're not taught them. We don't see, it, we don't see them modeled. But these define the way of Jesus. None of this is easy because it goes against all our natural inclinations, but it's vital. But I want to kind of close with one last thing um, to to both encourage and frame, and frame this. Paul says that we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That means we're called to maintain unity, not create it. Unity is something that is given to us by the, given to Father of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Because through Jesus, God has already reconciled us to himself and to each other into one new family. So he has created the unity. We're just called to maintain it. So, so how do we do this? This is not easy. The reason why Paul had to instruct people in this in almost all of his letters is because it is hard. The reason why this is not natural for you is because this is hard. This is not our natural default. Our natural default is to look out for ourselves over others. Our natural default is to assign bad motives to those that we disagree with. That's just the human condition. So I wish the solution was simple as, all right, guys, just stop it. Just stop doing that and everything will be better. Uh, that, that would make preaching so much easier. Or, uh, hey, here's a plaque put on your wall. 
And every morning, look in the mirror and just go, I am humble. I am gentle. I am patient. I can put up with others that I love. I can do this. That's not, that's not going to work. That'd be a little weird, but that's also not going to work either. Rules, rules are just not a good enough motivation for behavior change. You know, the law is good, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the heart. So you only start to see progress, I believe, when you understand that Christian ethics are an ethic of response. Because Jesus has acted this way towards us, we can then be like this to others. You know, the reason why Paul in his letter didn't even really give a ton of practical, this is what you do in your everyday life advice till chapter four was because he had to spend the first three chapters of the letter talking about, this is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is who you are now. Therefore, you can live in this way. Because the character that we need for unity, it's just, it's just a byproduct of Jesus changing your life. This, this, this will be a natural outflow. If you, want, if you want to know what a mature Christian starts to look like, look at this. They'll, be, they'll become more humble. They'll be more gentle. They'll be more patient. They'll, they'll, you'll start to see these things growing in others and yourself. You want to know what immaturity looks like? It's just the opposite of all of these things. Instead of being humble, you're proud. Instead of being gentle, you're harsh. Instead of being patient with people, you're impatient. You know, you don't put up with others in love. You just, you know, you write them off really easy. And you're not a unifier, but you're divisive. Those are all marks of what immaturity is. Um, but that's not the way of Jesus. And that's not what he's calling us into. What, what I love is this. You know, the church is the one place where we can truthfully say, hey, we're all in this together. And, and really mean it. You know Why? Because we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one gospel, one mission, one savior, and one destination awaiting for us. You know, we are in this together because of all of those things. So that's a big enough bond to handle any of the differences we might have, whether it be politics or COVID-19 opinions or whatever. Like we can disagree with those things and still maintain unity because we have so much in common. And we have this unity in Jesus. And over the next few weeks and months, we're gonna have plenty of opportunity to bear with one another in love. We just are. So let's move forward and demonstrate to our community what unity in Jesus looks like. Let's demonstrate what unity in Jesus made possible by the cross looks like. Because remember, our message that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself is going to ring hollow if it comes from the lips of people who can't get along. It just will. But that's not going to be us. You know, for us to be a group that practices the way of Jesus together in this time, we need to be marked by humility, by gentleness, by patience with each other. Um, The unity of Elm City Church moving forward is going to be far more important than the date of our regathering and what it looks like. Justin and I were like, literally like five minutes before we were about to film, we saw, we saw Sununu's announcement. Uh, our unity as a church is going to be much more important than whatever that date is that we start to come back here to the building. We have an incredible opportunity to model unity amidst diversity. In a world that doesn't know how to disagree well, that doesn't know how to unite on the majors, doesn't know how to bear with one each other in love, we can model a different way, the way of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, please help us. We pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel, that you are uniting all things in yourself. Help us to be people who are united in you. 
Help us to disagree well. Help us to love others and outsiders in ways that people wonder and say, how can you do that? And we can say, because of Jesus. I thank you and I praise you. So we're excited to worship you now. Here I pray. Amen.